the subject for the evening talk is the first two factors of enlightenment. <coughs> In the old Buddhist texts, one finds upon reading them uh, a popular wish, you might say, to put various essential themes of life into particular groupings. And it became a very easy and remarkably uh, effective way for uh, oral transmission. And recently, that is the uh, last year or two, a um, remarkable translation has been made of the middle-length sayings which consists of about 150 talks which the Buddha is said to have uh, given and these have been compiled and placed together into a single uh, volume. Um, this is a small advertisement for this book as you can tell and I'm not doing it on behalf of wisdom even though they distribute my books and this collection of 150 talks uh, of the Buddha is, I would regard it as, a remarkable, insightful uh, um, outline of spiritual life and practice, of the depths of Dharma teachings, and a real day-to-day -day manual for any serious yogi, any serious uh, retreatant, any but he's seriously inquiring into the nature of existence. And a very fine book for those um, um, of us who are obliged to teach the, the Dharma for our sins. And in this particular uh, book, as I said, there are a number of groupings, for want of a better word, which take place. So, as an example, one has the four foundations of awareness. And though the foundations for awareness are body, uh, feelings, uh, states of mind, and the very nature of things, the Dharma of existence. Each one of those areas in life, as we shall be doing in our days of this retreat together, is worth addressing and worth looking directly into, because that's what existence is. One has the the groupings are called the five aggregates. And I'm reminded of those because the uh, nearby Karuna Institute, a, a psychotherapy training center, which uh, gives uh, three-year training uh, uh, programs, just uh, if I may say, asked me to go and speak there in a, a week or two time on the five aggregates of a human being. Five aggregates being body, feelings, perceptions, uh, thoughts and consciousness and the way that the self, the I, the me, the my arises uh, uh, in relationship to each one of those sometimes together, sometimes very individually one, sometimes one say I'm feeling very emotional I arising in relationship to feelings and emotions um, I'm sitting here, I've just got nothing but body pain going on for me uh, all day, the eye in arising in relationship to bodily life, etc., etc. 
So within these range of groupings or groupings which take place, one of them is the seven factors of enlightenment. And the first two uh, is called sati, S-A-T-I, it means mindfulness, it means awareness. And the second one is dharma, dharma means teachings concerned with enlightenment, that is the dharma. Dharma vichara, vichara means inquiry, the investigation into the dharma of existence in what it is to be in this world. And then there are other five factors which are there as well, out of the seven, and I'll try to remember them. I've only been associated with them for 30 years, but forgive me. Um, oh God. One of them is uh, <laughs> uh, joy, um, serenity, uh, effort and energy, equanimity, Don't ask you. I won't then, <laughs> if I promise you, Yvonne. Any Buddhist, Buddhologist in the hall? There's, there is one more. So uh, awareness is the first, inquiry is the second, joy is the third, serenity is the fourth, equanimity is the seventh, effort or energy is the sixth. One has gone. Tranquility. I think that's the serenity. Tranquility. Thank you, Shada. All these teachers around, it's so helpful. <laughs> so there are the seven. Of, of them. And sometimes in the experience of uh, practice and e exploration, any one of those seven may or more may be touching. One, one may feel a response there. One feels genuinely much more aware of the here and now, much more aware of what's going on with one's existence. One finds oneself uh, reflecting. Some joy come and calmness and serenity may arise. All of this, of course, on the first day of a retreat may seem terribly, terribly uh, far away. And what one is dealing with seems to be the adjustment of change from what one is coming <coughs> from to what one is arriving into. And this perception and view, which I referred to briefly in the opening talk last night, may in fact only arise from time to time during the day. And how easily the generalized view of things forms the whole view of the day. So we say to ourselves, I'm just settling in. I'm just adjusting to the situation. I'm just getting over what or who I am coming from and I'm arriving here. So there's various bodily sensations which go on, various thoughts and feelings which go on, and out of all of that, during the day, we form a generalized image, a generalized picture and view, and we say, this is my day. <laughs> Not a hope. Not a hope. <coughs> but the power of the tendency towards generalizing our day, if not our existence, is extraordinarily strong. And we tend to believe my general picture of myself, my general picture of what it is to be here. And we live and get to live, not with the moment, 
not with the unfolding uh, flow and rhythms of existence, we actually get to live with the image and the picture and the generalized view. And we think the picture is the reality, the picture is the truth. These teachings are to dissolve that mythology. Simple. Liberation immediately. No pictures can ever be a substitute for the nature of things. And that's what all the teachings are about. In the text there, I'll come back to awareness and inquiry before this tape is over, I promise. In the text, <coughs> the, the Buddha has a word, there's a bit of the Pali word here, a lovely word, it's nimitta, spelling is N-I-M-I-T-T-A or N-I-M-I-T-A, I can't quite remember. And both in its gross expression in life and also in its subtle expression in life, there is the movement of the mind towards and from what we perceive, what we experience, we draw out a detail. Do you think of anything in your life which is important to you, anyone which is important to you, any aspect of, of it? And all the sheer diversity of what goes on in your life and my life, all the sheer multiplicity of things. Just take today. The multiple different colours, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touch that you and I have passed through. The multiple thoughts, feelings, moods, body sensations. And then the nimitta occurs. That is, there is a movement towards and the tendency will fasten onto a particular. And on the particular, we begin to build. Can you think of anything? The heavens and hells of one's existence, through movement towards, grasping onto, and building. And out of the building, we build our hell. Out of the building, we build our heavens. Both the heavens and hells which we build from the fasting onto collapse. That's the harsh truth. They may get actualized. Our hells may get actualized into the circumstances around us. Yes, that's possible. Of course it is. Our heavens may get actualized and everything we wished for, everything <coughs> which we ever hoped for could happen, might happen but it will still collapse. It's still a changing presence for you and I. So when our heavens and our hells collapse, what's left? That which is left may vary considerably from one to another. So, Awareness in life, the first factor of enlightenment, first instrument for true change, authentic change, is bringing an awareness to what we generalize, what we grasp onto, and what we do with that, and what we fasten onto in terms of the particular. Looking at the movement towards generalities and particular, 
is a tremendous act of awareness. <coughs> In coming into a retreat and spending some time on the cushion, sometimes it's hard and of course minds and bodies before you have been sitting on these self-same uh, cushions for uh, some years. Some of the cushions have, have been around. Uh, how long have they been around? 10 or 20 years, some of them here. And of course, in terms of time compared with monasteries, it's peanuts. In fact, in Theravada monasteries, one doesn't even get the privilege of the, cu of the cushions. And when we're there in the monastery, our one who had been ordained for a period of time, one had a, a little square um, carpet, about half the size of the zafu, and no, none of these cushions. And hardcore Theravada monks seeing these cushions as they've done when they've come here, looked and think it's, oh, it's a bit wimpish. <laughs> so here's a situation where we have the cushions here, and we spend the day on the cushion, and one of the factors of bringing the time to uh, awareness is to sitting on the cushion is to see as well and as clearly what is happening or has been happening for us today. Therefore, in all the multiple facets of incidentals, is anything standing out for us in the course of this day which is very distinct, very noticeable, has a real nimitta to it, has a real sign to it, has a real indication to it, cannot be overlooked, cannot be ignored, cannot be neglected. Something stands out for us. That's the nimitta, what stands out for us. In whatever it might be that stands out for us. Of course, since it stands out, therefore subjected to arising, it's going to pass. has to go, because it's come. Quite often with us, when something which is difficult, which has arisen or is arising and it's gone, we're so grateful for its passing, we just want to get on with our life. Oh God, I had this nightmare today. This, I had this day to day which I must have achieved the supreme state of boredom. Never known such a degree of it before in my entire life. I thought I'd come down here to be mindful, be conscious, be aware, be awake, be alert, be vigilant. And I arrive here and I'm being thoroughly bored. And somehow my boredom seems to be so pervasive that that's all I can recall of today. So that every time Yvonne was uh, sitting at the front or myself, it was just waiting and waiting for the sitting to be over. Not because there was anything exciting going on on the other side of the meditation hall door, but just I was bored, therefore it would be over 
Therefore, my escape from my boredom was to get up and walk around. Then waiting for the next dose of boredom, about 45 minutes later. And people speak regularly, perhaps alarmingly, of boredom. Boredom, what is this strange phenomena that goes on inside, which acts like a cloud over every sight, every sound, every smell, every taste, every touch, every thought. It seems to fuse it all, it pervades it. Bored, 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 bored. Life is so boring. But if someone was to come along and put a gun to our head, Yvonne's unlikely to do this, but anyway, if one was to come along and put a gun to our head, it's hardly likely we say, well, life is so boring. The energy change would be in a flash. What's the gun going to be the metaphor for? What? What's going to shake us out? <coughs> Therefore, enlighten the existence, awaken the existence, so that one can put one's hand on one's heart and say, boredom is utterly unfamiliar to this state of mind, no matter what the condition of the circumstances. Not something which is in the realms of the known. What has happened that shook the mind out of any boredom uh, with life, with existence, with the moment, with oneself, or whatever. What was the gun, the metaphor for? So as I say, there can be this wave, boredom, we might call it as one wave, and um, many others. Sometimes it, it's a little difficult because there's a certain kind of contraction which takes place. When I arrived yesterday evening and sat here and we were giving the opening talk, I had sensations which just reminded me of the old Gaia house. Basically the sensations were called C-O-L-D. <laughs> and I thought, oh God, History has recycled itself once again. We spent ages at the old guy house saving up the money in order to have some central heating so that at least people could get down to wearing one blanket in the meditation hall. I see some of you are getting stoked up for the winter. And now we're in this new place with this much larger hall there are more blankets in this hall, probably in the rest of the building put together. And it reminded me of the old one-liners about people from the continent would come here. And the word went round the Dharma communities in uh, Europe, don't go to Gaia House in the winter. And people from the continent told me, Christopher, it's the only time in my entire life where I've been wearing my coat and jumper and thermal underwear indoors. And so when I sat down yesterday evening, I thought, <laughs> a bit brisk, 
there. And we are hoping with our newly painted radiators to hide that they were made in the last century, that some, is there any heating coming out? Is there anything, anything coming out? Nothing, nothing weird. Cold, that's C-O-L-D. So we do hope in this very lifetime that the radiators will radiate and some warmth will, uh, will come, but please be patient with us. And for God's sake, don't go back to the continent and tell people not to come in the winter. <laughs> we will try to get something done about it. Anyway, let me get back to the original theme. So, <laughs> so there's an awareness in life. One feature of this awareness, as I said, is the addressing of the generalities, the general picture and the associations that go with it, and the intensity of the associations which create our heavens and hells. The other is the focusing on a particular, making sometimes a huge fuss about the particular, building up on that, and it's obscuring the general. So an awareness in life really explores and inquires and looks into what this does and what the consequences of it are. Surely I don't have to speak about the consequences politically, socially, economically, but I'm speaking, of course, spiritually and inwardly as well, of grasping the general and building up, grasping the particular and building up. And that world becomes images, pictures and storylines. What on earth has it got to do with the nature of things? Which is what enlightenment is to realise. It can form itself, as I said to you, through boredom, apathy, indifference, a kind of neglect of connection with existence and with ourselves. So potent is this boredom that it becomes a key factor in the compelling need for stimulation in the culture and in the society, in all manner of forms. But also, in the immediacy of it, just when we're sitting, as an example, it pervades all the senses. It actually decolours the colour. It actually deadens the sound. It actually produces a tastelessness in the food. It, it actually produces a, an indifference, an apathy, a coldness with regard to bodily life. So from one particular mind state, understandably, easily coming, arises in the consciousness and it pervades, it suffuses everything. <coughs> and then we can find ourselves uh, in the reinforcement of it in the waiting mode. It's as though when we're kind of paralysed in dullness or boredom or heaviness or lethargy, that the here and now isn't able to accommodate it. It's like the here and now is not big enough in the moment. So it extends itself in time, so to speak. We be begin looking at the past through those eyes of boredom, or we begin look, or in the future, it could be the waiting. I want something to be over with, and the future thought is a, a waiting thought. What's going to deconstruct all of that? What's going to awaken? So awareness with inquiry 
awareness with investigation actually works together and very much necessarily so, to enlighten the consciousness. Occasionally from a psychological level. Two, two things. That if there's a lot of heaviness in life, boredom in life, lethargy, and of course, hopefully what I'm saying here isn't applying to everybody today, <laughs> but sometimes what can be behind it is there is some negativity. We're perhaps not very skillful with working with the negativity that comes, or the anger, or the rage, or whatever it might be. And so it serves as a mask for it. And I've noticed a few times in, in small groups, not today, or in one-to-ones, where speaking with the person and engaging with some inquiry into dullness or boredom or energy level or whatever, which has gone on one day, two days, three days, and prodding a little harder, sometimes some agitation comes out, some negativity, some blame, self or others or whatever. So if we're feeling stuck with something, we're not only interested in what's in up front for us, but what might be behind it, what might be giving support to it. And that quiet reflection is called inquiry. What's feeding this? What's holding up this? What's sustaining this? What's keeping this going which is unnecessary to keep going? And it's not always easy to ask that kind of question to ourselves. <coughs> Sometimes first people will say on the retreat, I find myself sitting and walking and a lot of self-judgment starts coming in criticizing of myself, blaming of myself, putting myself down, whatever. And the thoughts come and the thoughts go and then they come again and they, co and they go again. But perhaps there's something to be understood there. What do I need to be clear about? What is, what is this self which is given, being, giving so much importance? So, as I said, there is awareness in life. In this case, awareness of a generality, a particular state of mind. That may require, meditatively speaking, some quiet reflection or inquiry to look at something. What do I need to understand from this situation? And the strength of the general experience or the strength of what I'm focusing on in a particular and identifying with, the strength of that when it's arising should be telling me and indicating I need to see something clearly here. What is it? What is it? And therefore awareness and inquiry as two factors of enlightenment really work together. The danger is, of course, if I ask, what is it that needs to be understood, needs to be seen very, very clearly and honestly here, the mind can go off on a, on a, on a zoom 
full of associations, speculating, psychoanalyzing oneself, uh, comparing and judging and thinking about and going to childhood and parents and friends and this and that. Once we start to notice the departure through association in that way, capacity of awareness is to cut it. If there's awareness there, it will cut it. Awareness with inquiry. Awareness, awareness with what is it? What does this say? What is to be clear about here? And it doesn't require thinking about. It will come through. If we're receptive, interested, attentive, we will see clearly. It will either come through our own being, it will come through in the teachings, it will come through in the nature, it will come through in the small group, it will come through in the one-to-one, it will come through and enlighten. Therefore I say, awareness with inquiry, put those two together, is enlightening and liberating simultaneously. Then all the other factors, one of which I can't remember, joy and serenity and the energy for all of this and a natural equanimity, a well, sense of deep well-being, will all begin to flow as well. Naturally, easily. <laughs> First two are tremendous ingredients for the revelation and the discovery <laughs> of the others. Of course, it isn't always easy to find uh, the balance and the steadfastness between awareness and inquiry. And sometimes, when we're speaking of uh, awareness, in the kind of language that I use um, here on retreats, when I say the word uh, meditation, this is where my association comes in, I tend to think of meditation as awareness with a formal aspect. Meditation means awareness with a formal aspect. Standing, walking meditation, reclining meditation, eating meditation. Many other times of the day, there may not be the formal aspect, but still an awareness is required from you and I. Brushing our teeth, going to the toilet, just going walking from your room to somewhere else, being outdoors, being in the garden, washing your plate, or wha whatever. All of that is worthy of our care and our attention and our respect and our connection with. In the formal meditation, awareness with form, one of the features of that is sometimes, in terms of insight meditation, is sometimes forgotten, is that we develop a practice of calmness of being to reduce some of the stress and the tension and the pressures in life, to genuinely feel a greater sense of well-being of mind and body. Just to sit and just to be. 
lots of issues through natural sitting, natural walking, natural meditation, lots of issues, can fade and dissolve and lose their substance. A lot of clinging and possessiveness, fears and envy, jealousy and worry, just through being, can drop away. But to some degree, that dropping away which is taking place is because the environment, which is us and the nature and the hall, is giving support to each other for issues to drop away. Therefore, through the awareness with the meditation, we can genuinely feel more calm, more relaxed, more settled, more at peace with ourselves and at peace with life. And it's beautiful and important that such environments as this are on this earth. There are not many of them, but it's important that they are around. Yet, when people say, ah, oh, as I hear, probably most days of my life, and certainly in letters and phone calls and on retreats, ah, oh, Christopher, when I stayed at Gaia House or wherever it was, I felt, and then there's a several, generally, not always, very pleasant adjectives following on from how the person experienced, how the person felt. As a general perception of what took place. But, the but, most popular word in the English language. When I went to wherever, 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 it was different. How come my awareness, my meditation, my practices got so well established here in this supportive environment and then changed? What happened? I was reflecting on things, I was looking at my life, I was inquiring, what, hap what happened, what happened, what happened? Probably one of the most common reports of the meditator. What's not understood? What is not understood? And that understanding is to be discovered in such a way, realized in such a way, it is more powerful as a truth of life than the environment. What is that understanding? I live in the consciousness, I am here, I spend days here, weeks here, months here, some of you are very familiar with uh, spiritual climates. And there is an understanding which is taking place by presence, by awareness, by meditation. It's expressing an understanding of what matters. There's reflection and inquiry going on. This is an insight meditation and inquiry retreat. There's an understanding which is taking place there. But to a degree, the understanding which is taking place is related to, for many, and dependent upon the environment for the support of the understanding. What is that understanding which is, not, which is not dependent on the environment for it? Now, 
sitting here asking this question. It's a very privileged thing to do. I hope you're not waiting for an answer <laughs> because you're going to have to wait for eternity. I could say don't A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. I could recite to you the whole Buddhist text. Two and a half thousand years of sustained tradition into this question. I could chant, well I can't, but anyway, I could chant to you the Pragna Paramitra Sutra, the, the Sutra of supreme wisdom, of supreme understanding, or etc., etc. What difference would it make? Yet, even though the mind cannot comprehend what this understanding is, and even though one can't get it out of the text, and one can't recite it, and can't memorize it, and can't learn it, yet nevertheless, there is still an understanding in life which is enlightening, liberating, and therefore not dependent on the environment for its presence. Call it what you like. And therefore, the seven factors of enlightenment is the same thing as saying the seven factors for this understanding which is unshakable. Understanding with a capital U. That understanding means the whole field of existence stands under the consciousness. Therefore, the entire environment of life is no problem. What is that understanding? That's why we say awareness. That's why we say inquiry. The investigation, the looking into things for discovery, for realization. <coughs> and through the threads of the talks, small groups, inquiry, tomorrow afternoon, the silences, the nature, generally regarded two and a half thousand years as being some of the most supportive conditions for the understanding which is a liberation from the supportive conditions. What is this understanding? What is it? May all beings <coughs> live with awareness May all beings live with inquiry. May all beings know this understanding which is freeing and enlightening. So let's have two or three minutes shared silence together, shall we please?